0: All right, we finally get to the last book on the shelf. We're looking at Malachi this morning, although that's not the way he would have pronounced his name. If you'd called him Malachi, he'd have looked at you like you were from Lubbock. Um, the "kai" ending in English is key in, in, in Hebrew, so it would be Malachi. But uh, we're going to call it Malachi because otherwise you won't know what I'm talking about. And that's okay. So we're going to crack the book open. We're going to look at three different things in the book today. Uh-oh. I have done all of this work and nobody said to me, uh, you've messed up. Okay, we're going back, man. I I spent like 20 minutes just on this slide. Okay, there. The book's off the shelf. We're going to open the book. We're going to do three things in this book. Whoops. Now open it right. There. We're going to open the book, do three things. We're going to do the background, and then we're going to do the book, and then we're going to do points for home. Now the background's important because some people watch this video on the internet and they've never been to church. Some people watch this video uh uh and they've never read Malachi. Some people are in here And this may be something new for them. So it's always important that we put anything we read into its context or its background. If we fail to do that, we're leaving ourselves open to misunderstanding it or just being absolutely lost and saying, well, this just makes no sense to me. And the Bible is meant to make sense. And so we want to be good students of the word and we want to understand it. And that means we start with the background. Now, background is very important. And so what I want to do at first is give give you a little bit of history. So if we've got the right history, we can better understand where Malachi or Malachi fits. All right. So Here's your geography lesson historically. We'll start current day. Current day, this is what the Middle East looks like. You've got Greece up there. You've got Turkey over here. You've got uh, Assad who is the tyrant in Syria. Um, you've got Jordan down here next to Israel. Uh, you've got Egypt over here, Saudi Arabia, Iraq which was in the news when we had all of the wars and stuff there. Kuwait, down here. This is Iran. Iran, sworn enemy of Israel, now has missiles that arguably can reach Israel. It's in the news. This is today. You got it? Okay. Now we're going to jump way back and work our way up to Malachi. But the way we're going to start is we're going back To the time of Abraham so he's in Genesis he's the the father of the Israelites and when Abraham was alive think 2200 BC ish when Abraham was alive there was an Egyptian Empire you already had the great pyramids of Giza you've got an Egyptian Empire You've got, and it stretched all the way over into Damascus. So it included what, here's your Dead Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. There's the Jordan River. It included what's now Israel. Um, It included what's now all the way up into Lebanon and, and into Syria, parts of Syria. Then you had the peoples of Kedar. You had the peoples of Babylonia. And this down here is Ur. That's where Abraham was from. So he was from an area that's now in Iraq. And he was called to follow God. And God brought him up to Haran. And from Haran, God sent him all the way over into the promised land. And he'd dabble into Egypt and all the rest of this. But that's what the map looked like. At the time of Abraham. Now, Abraham's offspring get caught up in Egypt for like 400 years. And when they finally escape from Egypt, you may have seen the movie with Moses, the Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston went down and he got them. And he took them all the way around. They wander for 40 years in the wilderness, but ultimately they get up here. Uh Moses has, doesn't get to go into the promised land. He doesn't get to cross the river. But this is the Dead Sea. This is the promised land. And they take the promised land. Now it's very important that we know that when Moses has the people at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai. And God meets with Moses And God gives Moses the law. And God says to Moses, you go talk to these people that I've bought out of slavery. They are here because I did it. I got them here. I've been feeding them. I've been giving them water. I've been leading them. And here's it is. You give them this. If they want to follow me and be my people... I will bless them. If they don't want to have anything to do with this, I'll leave them alone. Ask them what they want to do. But warn them, if they agree to be my people, and they don't do what their end of the bargain, then instead of blessing them, I'm going to visit them with judgment. So Moses goes to the people, says, here's the deal. People said, we want in. And the people agree to marry God. And the Exodus story that's told there is written up like an ancient Israelite wedding. And they become God's people. And so God makes that covenant relationship with them. And they of course start messing up the covenant almost immediately. They run out of faith. They wind up wandering in the wilderness for 40 years but God blesses them as he says he will and then they finally get to take over the promised land and it's divided up among the 12 tribes of Israel now you'll have to excuse me for a minute because my shoe has become untied and if I trip up here I'm gonna have to hire myself to sue myself <laughs> and that's a, <clears throat> that's a vicious circle of perpetual motion There are 12 tribes of Israel based on the 12 sons, not of Abraham. Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Hold on. This becomes useful and important. So you're saying, well, I already know all of this. Okay, well, fine. Then you can sleep for a minute. You got Abraham. Abraham gives birth to Isaac. Isaac gives birth to the twins, Esau, who's the firstborn, and Jacob, who's the secondborn. Jacob winds up having, like, he's got two wives, and they've each given him a handmaiden. So he's got at least four women telling him what to do all day long. When to take out? Can you imagine four people telling you to take out the trash? Um, Jacob winds up with twelve kids. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve kids, and they are what become the twelve tribes of Israel. Israel because Jacob's name is changed at one point to Israel. And that becomes his name. So these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And so here you've got the land divided. Now if you're counting land masses, you've got a little problem here. Reuben is the firstborn. Reuben gets that land down there with the check mark. The secondborn is Simeon. Simeon gets this land way down here in the southern part of Judah. The third is Levi. Levi doesn't get any land. Because Levi is in charge of the priests. They are the priests. The Levitical or Levitical priesthood. So they're the priests. And they're going to be spread out throughout everywhere. Because they're in charge of making sure the people are honoring the the agreements they made on Sinai. So the Levites are spread everywhere. Then you've got Judah. Judah is this big area down here, which is important because it includes Bethlehem. Now there's a border town just a little bit north called Jerusalem. That becomes very important geographically because these southern regions never quite get along with the brothers and the tribes in the north. And so when David politically makes Jerusalem his capital, he's trying to merge the northern and the southern people who are fussing and fighting. So he picks that city right there on the borderline. It's interesting. Judah. Then you got Dan. Now Dan gets this area over here on the coast. You get Naphtali. Naphtali's way up there in the Galilee area. You get Gad. And Gad's over there on the other side of the Jordan River. You get, oh, Asher. Asher's up here on the coast. You get Issachar. Issachar is there. <laughs> now, next, Zebulun. Zebulun gets that little region. That includes Samaria. And, and, uh, no, actually Samaria is a little bit further south. But, um, that becomes ultimately an area that's important. Now, Joseph is the next son. Joseph gets a double portion. So Joseph's portion goes to two of his sons. Manasseh, who gets this chunk and this chunk. And his other son Ephraim, who gets this chunk down here. So this is the way the land... Oh, Benjamin, don't forget him. Benjamin's right over here. This is the way the land's divided up. Now, the people don't have a king, but ultimately they want one, so they pick Saul because he's the tallest. They forgot they're picking a king who's supposed to lead them in godliness, not putting together their basketball team. Saul does not work out too well, but he is succeeded by King David, who's the greatest king that they had. And David and Solomon rule... This area of Israel and Judah. Now, you may be saying, well, I thought they had all of that promised land. They never conquered it all. They never followed God the way he told them to. And they never got blessed with all of the land. That's the way it is, guys, gals. You and I can be promised things by God. But if we don't walk in obedience and in faith to him, we don't necessarily get everything he promised us. Very strong lesson there. That's a lesson woven all of this that I'm teaching you is woven into Malachi, and it's the reason it's important for us to understand this if we're going to understand the language and the themes of Malachi. So you've got a united kingdom here. The Philistines have come in. They were sea peoples, likely they came in from Greek islands and have have uh, settled along the coastal region. They've taken some. The Phoenicians up here are still where they are. The Edomites and the Moabites and the Ammonites. These are all people who most of the time are enemies of Israel and Judah. But you've got a united kingdom. Now when Solomon dies, the kingdom divides. There's a civil war. And so you've got a divided kingdom. You've got, it gives Philistia a chance to expand. But you've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And this is where they start fighting over Jerusalem. And they fight and don't get along. So you've got Israel and Judah, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, after the civil war. all right. now let's keep going. The Assyrian Empire is really strong up there in the north at this point in time. They are basically this whole area that's yellow here. And they come down and they conquer Israel, the northern ten tribes, the north part. They conquer it and cart those people off. And they're the lost tribes of Israel. Now the southern kingdom holds out. Judah holds out for a while. But ultimately Judah is conquered ...by this massive Babylonian empire that conquers Assyria. So the Babylonian empire and Nebuchadnezzar comes in... ...and he not only conquers Jerusalem, but he destroys it. He pulls down the walls. He tears apart the temple that Solomon had built there. Jerusalem had been the ruling headquarters, the capital of the people... And the center of its religious life. And so Babylon destroys it totally because the Babylonian Empire wanted to assimilate the Israelites into their culture and their religion. So they absolutely annihilate the temple, they annihilate the sacrifice system, they annihilate the the capital city of Jerusalem, and they cart off vast numbers of people to live in Babylon. And a number of Jewish people stay in Babylon to this day. Now, by the way, we can start calling them Jews at this point, because Jew comes from Judah. You can't call, if we go back in time, you can't call the people in the, you can't call the northern kingdom of Israel Jews. They weren't Jews. They were Israelites or Hebrews. The Jews come from Judah. And so uh, you've got now the Jews from Judah who have been count, carted off into captivity. And Assyria doesn't last long. The Assyrian Empire is destroyed. And when it gets destroyed... Oh, this is the Babylonian conquest of Judah. Let's skip that. It gets destroyed by Persia. Persia is modern Iran in its headquarters. So if you think of Babylon as Iraq... If we go back to that original map... Now Iran and the Persian people... Different language, Farsi... um, Different culture... The Persians have taken over Babylon and the Babylonians. And they've conquered all the way down even into Egypt. And they're ruling Egypt. They're all the way north up to where the Greeks are. And there's a fellow who's the king from 522 to 485 BC. His name is Darius. Darius I. And King Darius has a different attitude about things. Than the Babylonians. The Babylonians said. We will destroy your culture. We will destroy your religion. You come and participate in ours. Darius is very different. Darius's attitude is. Hey I need my kingdom working well. And he was an organization freak. So he says. I'm going to get this thing. Put together right. He divides it up. Into 20 different districts. Districts. And these districts are sometimes called satrapies or satrapies, because they would put a satrap or a governor over each of those districts. Oftentimes, a relative, um, but but he divides it up into these twenty districts. And unlike the Babylonians, he urges people to worship in their own religious faith, to do their own thing, because he wants each district to be happy and complete and he trusts that his governors and satraps will keep those districts from rebelling if the people are happy so he says hey you want to have that religion have that religion have a good time with it and he sends back ultimately people to various lands that they came from and helps them reestablish their religions so under darius you've got Oh, let me add this. One reason he wants everybody happy is not simply because he wants to say, look at all of my territory. I'm a real estate mogul. Real estate mogul means lots of different people to pay taxes. Means lots of different people to be in the army. Lots of different people to fuel what he's doing. So he puts... Not too heavy a tax burden, but he puts a heavy tax burden on people. Herodotus, the Greek historian, writes it up. And he's talking about the 20 different districts. And he says, his fifth district as he's describing it. From the town of Posidium, which was founded by Amphilochus. I can't read that close. By Amphilochus, son of Amphiarius, on the border between Cilicia and Syria as far as Egypt. Omitting Arab territory, which was free of tax. 350 talents this province contains the whole of Phoenicia and that part of Syria which is called Palestine and Cyprus this is Judah Yehud they would call it they would also call it the land beyond the river because it's beyond the Tigris and Euphrates rivers and so we've got that so so this becomes independent district within Darius's ruling now Darius dies and King Xerxes, his son, takes over. Xerxes rules from 485 to 465 before he's killed. And King Artaxerxes takes over. We don't know exactly when Malachi is written. But I think it's probably during this reign of Artaxerxes I. Like Darius, there wind up being a bunch of Artaxerxes. There were a bunch of Dariuses. But this is your basic history. You got it? Okay, now I want to talk a little bit about the people. The people got sent back under the Persian rulers. And the people were even given some money to rebuild the temple. So we've got these Old Testament books of Ezra and Nehemiah that talk about rebuilding the temple and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Trying to restore the city to some measure of functionality, even if it's not as grand. As it had been in the glory days so Ezra and the people are rebuilding the temple now this is hard work this is not easily done but God had sent prophets and we've been reading some of them and the prophets were encouraging the people in the work so we read the prophet Haggai Haggai told the people The latter glory of this house, the temple, and this is called the second temple because the first temple, Solomon's, had been destroyed. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, I got to tell you, you got the prophecy, but the people by malachi's day aren't feeling it they're not feeling the peace they're not feeling the glory they're not feeling that they're getting taxed they're having trouble with local folks that had settled the region after they had left and before they came back and it's just a really difficult time and they're sitting there saying you know we're doing everything we're supposed to we got the temple rebuilt we're We're doing the sacrifices that Moses called upon us to do. We're doing our part, but we're not seeing the promise. Now, I think it's very useful for us to understand the population. Eric and Carol Myers are two Duke folks who are specialists in this area. They estimate that between 538 and 450 BC, the population of Judah is 10,850 people. That's less than the membership roles of our church. By the time you get to 350 BC, it's blossomed to 17,000. I mean, that makes Lubbock, Texas look like New York City. and That, that makes Muleshoe, Texas look pretty big. I mean, this is nothing... But that's the population that's there that's trying to do this work and trying to get everything together. All right, one last bit of background on Malachi. I want to talk about its placement in the Bible because this is important as well. So if we were to look at a Hebrew Bible, a Jewish Bible, I've got my buddy Larry, I've got my buddy Rick, I've got some good people of Jewish heritage in here who can quickly tell you the the Jewish scriptures are called the Tanakh. Tanakh is a composite of three different... It's first letter, basically, of three different Hebrew words. Because the Hebrew scriptures are divided into three separate sections. So the T is from the Torah. Which is... Uh, uh, Torah is a Hebrew word. It means law or instruction. We would think of it as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay? You got the Torah. You got the Nevi'im. Nevi'im is, um, it's a Hebrew word for prophets. Uh, uh, I've got to pause. Nevi is, it's plural, Nevi'im. Nevi is is the singular, it's just prophet. And this is useful for a moment because uh, the Callahams sit over here. I don't have my glasses on. Are y'all here, Neil? Yeah. Hi, y'all. Their son is a really first-class Hebrew scholar. I mean, he's like really first-class. And for a period of time, he was an, uh, uh, an army chaplain. Um, and uh, Army, right? Na- navy chaplain. He was a navy chaplain. Thank you. There's a big difference between those, it turns out. <laughs> you can be in the army and be seasick. Uh, if you're in the navy and you're seasick, you're in trouble. Um, he comes up to me, he was visiting Patricia and and Neil, and he comes up to me after class, and he says, I brought you a hat, and it's a baseball cap, and it's got Hebrew on it. And he says, read it. Okay, well, I mean, so uh, I'm looking at it, and first words, I'm thinking, How do i do know too sure what that is second word is navi and i'm thinking okay well that's prophet and i said okay uh prophet and he said no 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 you're translating it i said just read it i said oh go navi beat army (laughs) supposed to wear it during the army navy football game Navi. Nevi is prophet. Nevi'im, I-M, is a Hebrew ending that makes it plural. So those are the prophets. The third section are the Ketavim. That's the K-H sound at the end here. The Ketavim, that just means writings. That's like the catch-all bucket. So we know the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The Nevi'im, the prophets, are divided up into two separate groups in the Hebrew Bible. You've got the former prophets, and those are Joshua. I think, wait, that's a history book, not in the Hebrew Bible. You've got Joshua, Judges, you've got Samuel, Kings. You say, well, first and second Samuel. Yeah, they're combined in Hebrew. First second Kings are combined in the Hebrew. First second Kings, and then you've got the latter prophets. And the latter prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the book of 12. Or what we are calling the minor prophets. That is the second section of the Hebrew Bible, the way it's ordered. So in the ordering of the Hebrew Bible, you've got the Torah first, the prophets second, and the other writings. Psalms, uh, Daniel, um uh, proverbs that kind of stuff's in the other writings okay now this becomes important because there's the hebrew bible is put together in a way that gives great clues about the messiah but also malachi takes its place there because of this so if malachi is the very very last of the prophet books In the Hebrew Bible, in the English, uh, not English, in the uh, Christian scriptures, it's the last book of the Old Testament, period. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's the last book in that group called the prophets. And so because of that, at the end, you've got a synopsis where Malachi looks back to that story I told you about the law. ...and Mount Sinai and Moses. But it also looks forward to God's coming Messiah. And so this end of the prophet section looks back and looks forward. Let me show up a couple of scriptures. Here's Malachi at the very end of the book. It says, remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel... You look back and remember the deal we made, the covenant, the agreement, the str- the, the, the the rules, what you agreed to do. Remember that harkens all the way back. But then he says, "Behold, I will send you Eliyah." Eliyah means Yahweh is my God. We would read it as Elijah, but. Elijah the prophet is going to come there's going to be another Elijah who comes before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he'll turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers (laughs) lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction so this is going to save people from utter destruction what is prophesied by this coming Elijah which the new testament identifies as john the baptist so it's looking forward not only in the sense of the writings but past the writings looking forward to the end of of, of the age if you will the, the coming age with the great and terrible day of the lord awesome day of the lord um, so that's the placement within the book now, I've given you enough context where we ought to be able to make it through some of these passages of the book and make some sense out of them in ways that will also enrich our lives. So as we'll talk about next week and we study the Bible, the first thing we do is try to understand the Bible in its context before we ever try to then apply it to us. Because you take something out of context, you know, and, and it's a recipe for disaster. Uh, Judas went and hung himself. Go thou and do likewise. I mean, you start taking these passages out of context, you're in a lot of trouble. Okay? What thou doest, doest quickly. I, mean, that, I may do that next week. Uh, if you hear that again, you'll know why. So let's look at the book and let's throw some of the book up here. The book begins. The oracle, the Massah of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Masa, the first word is translated oracle. The word also means burden. This is something that's not simply being proclaimed, but this is a heavy burden that needs to be said. It's been used that way several times in several other prophets that we've looked at. But this is a burden. This burden is Devar Adonai, the word of the Lord. The word of of. Yahweh, the name of God, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel. Now, remember, we went through that chart. This is Judah who's been returned after the divided kingdom. This is not a reference to the northern kingdom of Israel. This is going back to the very beginning. Israel, Jacob, all of the people of God. And it's being used in a nostalgic way. So that it it evokes, should evoke, a nostalgia. This is not, hey, I'm coming to you right now. You know, this is not, by today, we'll deliver tonight. Gallery saves you money. You know, it's not the moment. Due respect to Mattress Mac. It's not the moment... This is a, this is, let's put this into time perspective. Let's go back almost 2,000 years to Israel by Malachi. Now, there are a lot of names of prophets that are important. Um, and a lot of the prophets will identify themselves as the son of so-and-so or the son of so-and-so of so-and-so of so-and-so. We get none of that here. And Malachi is not really a proper Hebrew name. It's a title. Malachi. Here it is here. And it's actually Mal-A-Ki. Malachi in Hebrew, means my messenger. So this is God saying, I'm sending my word to you that's a burden. And I'm sending it by my messenger. This is the FedEx delivery package to you. This is special delivery. Any of y'all grow up with uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Mr. McFeely, special delivery? Okay, Are Blue's Clues? Well, somebody got a letter? This is special delivery. I'm giving you special delivery from the word of the Lord, a burden. Do you know what it is? I've loved you. I've loved you. I've loved you now the translators are limited in what they can convey putting this into English but the verb tense here this verb tense is one that means I've loved you in the past but I also love you today I don't just all of a sudden love you I've loved you I love you right now I've loved you then That's a massive concept. A couple hundred years after this is written, some Jewish rabbis in Alexandria, Egypt, are translating this into Greek because so many Jews at that point speak Greek and not Hebrew. So a couple hundred years before Jesus, they translate this. And they translate this with, that first word you will know maybe as agape. It's just in a heurist verb form. Agape love. God says, that's what I have for you. And it's not new, I've had it. That's the word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 to describe a love that is God's love for you. I really want you to personalize this. I want you to, to take this to heart. This is God's love for you. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful say, but doesn't God insist on his own way? Not in any way except to your benefit. God will insist on his way to our benefit, but not to his and to our detriment. And that's what Paul's talking about. Does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, never ends. The greatest of all things is love. That's the love that God has for you. That's the love that God had for Israel. That's the love that caused him to bring back those words like Israel that should evoke memories like we went through in the history section. Now the way Malachi is written, there are about six dialogues where the the, the messenger says something and then the people kind of challenge it. They question. And so this passage that says, I have loved you, says the Lord, is followed up by this. But you say, well, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I love Jacob, and Esau I hated. This is why we've got the history lesson here. Isn't Esau Jacob's brother? God says, look, you want to know how I've loved you? Go back. Go back in time. Remember this? You got Jacob and Esau. Esau was the firstborn. As the firstborn, he's supposed to get all the inheritance. He's supposed to have the love. But God said from before they were born... It wasn't going to be Esau who got all the love and all the inheritance. It's going to be Jacob. And God made that choice. That's their father. That's their lineage. That's their heritage. That is Israel. How have I loved you? I picked you from the very beginning. How have I loved you? You've been mine from the get-go. By the way, Paul quotes this passage in Romans 9.13. Paul quotes this passage and says, um, fascinating passage, 9.13. He's talking about how God makes his sovereign choices in Christ. And he says, um, let's see if I can get this. Whoa, sorry see if I can get this a little bit bigger. Paul says, um, the word of God hasn't failed. Not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham. But through Isaac, your offspring will be named. This means it's not the children of the flesh who are children of God. And he goes on and on and he talks about it. And then he says, Rebecca was told, The older will serve the younger, as it's written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I hated. Now, this Hebrew word hated bothers us because we know God is love, and he's not supposed to hate anyone, right? So we read these passages, and we go, oh, okay. He's talking about the people groups here. He's not talking about, well, I didn't like that guy. That's not what God's doing here. He's saying as nation groups, one is going to be the chosen people. The other are not. So in that sense, one is loved and the other is not. Loved to the way and extent. So for example, if you go back into Genesis. Let me, let me give you um, Genesis 29, I think, 31 is a good passage to show you this. Genesis twenty nine thirty one. 31. Um, you remember I told you that um, Jacob winds up with two wives and two handmaidens and they get like 8,000 children and everything? Uh, this is where it's all starting. It starts here with verse 31. Lord saw that Leah, that's first wife, was hated. And he opened her womb, but kept Rachel barren. Leah conceived and bears a son, calls his name Reuben and says, Because the Lord looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord's heard that I'm hated, he's given me this son also. And she names that son Simeon, which sounds like the Shema, the Hebrew word for heard. Shemon. So God heard me because he heard I was hated. Well, not, he, he, she wasn't a chosen one. She was the one he got tricked into marrying. Moral to that story. Look carefully at your bride. Don't start drinking and partying before the wedding. You might not realize who you've got. But the point is, is God had made a choice of who he was blessing here. And the neat part about this Is God has chosen you. You are in the people group. He's chosen when you follow Christ. This is Paul's point in Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. See, I got to start teaching the new stuff next week. But the problem is, there's just, this stuff's too rich. Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's past tense, it's already happened, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. This is not talking about uh, he picked Steve, he picked Michelle, didn't pick this one, didn't pick, he's talking about as a group. He chose us. He chose His people before the beginning of the world that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us, the group, for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You say, well, what about daughters? Paul uses sons for adoption. You daughters have been adopted as sons too. You say, well, that doesn't seem gender fair. Well, actually, it wasn't gender fair in Paul's day sons got inheritance rights daughters didn't so you've been adopted as sons even if you're a female because you get inheritance rights you get full rights okay so that's a good thing according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he's blessed us in the beloved i mean this is what he's done he's chosen us so this is god's message To those people who were feeling like, where's the joy? Where's the fun? We thought this was going to be vacation. This has turned into painful, brutal, hard work, and not a lot of love. We're not having a good time. All right, let's get to another message real quick. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I'm a father, where's my honor? Says the Lord of hosts to you. O priests who despise my name. You say, well, how have we despised your name? Hebrew word name, Shem, means uh, your reputation, your CV. Steve Taylor has testified in court before. One of the things Steve has to do when he testifies is he gives his curriculum vitae, his, his CV, to the other side. So they can see why he's qualified to do it. And his CV lists what he's done in his life. His engineering, his, his work with the oil and gas industry, all of these different things. That's on your CV or your resume. That's what's behind this Hebrew word name. It's your, your resume. A son honors his father, a servant his master. If I'm a father, God says, why aren't you honoring me? You priests who despise my reputation. You despise who I am and what I've done. You say, well, how have we despised your reputation? You've offered polluted food upon my altar. You say, well, how have we polluted you? By saying the Lord's table may be despised. Here's what the priests were doing and the people were doing. God says, you give me the best of what you got. The people are kind of like, well, the best of what we got can sell pretty good or can be good breeding stock for what we might get tomorrow. So we're going to give you the cow with three horns instead of the one with two. Or we're going to give you the unicorn horn, you know, the one-horned cow. Or we're going to give you the one that's got the limp. Or we're going to give you the game, you know, dove with a broken wing. Or we're going to, and and they're giving him garbage. He says, when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, yeah, we'll give God the blind one. He can't eat right anyway. Isn't that evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, isn't that evil? Present that to the governor. You put that in front of the satrap who's taxing you say oh i'm supposed to give you a goat okay here take blind nanny you think he's gonna show you oh thank you for your blind goat i'm so glad you kept the good one for yourself no but for some reason since you don't see god you think you can get away with giving god less than he deserves and less than he calls for because you've just fallen into the house. Okay, well, we built the temple. We're doing the sacrifices again. But, you know, I mean, honestly, is God going to say, I gave God a blind goat last year and ain't nothing happened. Character is how you behave when no one's watching. We know that. But God's watching. God is watching. So, you The character needs to be kicked up a few notches, is what he's saying. Because instead of despising his name, from the rising of the sun to its setting, his name is to be great among the nations. Incense, prayers should be offered to God's reputation. What God has done, who he is and what he's done, should be praised and great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. This is is to be sung from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. Did any of y'all sing that in youth group or was that just me? From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. That's a song worth singing. The greatness of what God has done. Sing a song of the greatness of God. Okay, we got time for maybe one more. There's a bunch that we don't have time for. And I'm sorry about that. Oh, we got to get to the, like the famous passage. There are a bunch of famous passages, but here's one. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is financial instruction and advice. Now, there are important life lessons on money that I could take time to teach you. But I suspect you already know them. Like, the basic fundamental rule. You don't grocery shop on an empty stomach. I cannot tell you how much I have bought that I will never eat. But at the moment, it looked really tasty to me. You know, like I'm going to make... Pineapple upside-down beans or something. Oh, that sounds real good. Oh, Spam soup. Yeah, manly, buy that Spam. No, I'm never going to eat Spam. If there's Captain Crunch in the pantry, I don't need Spam. Important life lesson on money. Life lesson number two. Don't steal from God. It's not smart to steal from God. See, if you start with verse 9 in this passage, God says, you're stealing from me. Because that tithe is something that I told you way back with Moses to do. That was our deal. That was the agreement. Now, I don't know how many of you know this, but this is Old English. Old English was our language back between about 450 and 1150 A.D. Old English is pretty cool. There's this word in Old English. T-E-O, goofy letter A. The goofy letter is no longer in our alphabet. It's the letter thorn. And it's pronounced T-H. So this would be, that's kind of a diphthong, but it kind of is broken up. And my Old English is really weak because in Lubbock, we are cutting-edge modern English. But having studied it a little bit, I can tell you that this is something along the lines of taotha, taotha, taotha. It's the Old English word for a tenth, taotha, taotha. And over time, taotha has turned into the word tithe. tithe Tootha tithe and that's tithe. Our word tithe literally means a tenth. You say, but wait a minute. In that passage, bring the full tithe. That's not Old English. That's Hebrew. Yes. Ma'aser. Ma'aser in Hebrew means tenth. It means the same thing. God says, you bring to your tenth into my house. You do it and put me to the test. That is the only place that word is used like that in the Bible. Where we put God to the test. Oh, God uses the word for us. He'll test us. But this is where we put him to the test. You bring your tenth in. You put me to the test. You see if I don't deliver. You test me. Don't rob from me, God says. It's pretty good financial advice. Here are your points for home because we're out of time. And I just have to say, you know what we missed because I didn't have enough time? We missed, like, one of the most incredible. Songs. Oh. Okay, you just to have to go home and listen to it. Okay, points for home. Number one, hear from the God of love. He has a message for you. You say, well, I've all messed up my life. I'm I'm beyond love. No. That's the love in Christ. That's a redemptive love. That's a love that says, I'll wash the slate clean of everything you've ever done wrong. Find the most evil, wicked human ever on earth. And God would love for, for them to receive Jesus and be washed clean. And if you're not experiencing the God of love, Then I want to talk to you some more because he's there. And this whole Bible really boils down to a love story. And it's his love for each of us. Number two, don't be fake with God (laughs) like you're going to trick him. Just trust him. You can put God to the test, he is reliable. He will come through in the way that is right for you. May not be the way you want. May not be the way you design it. But it will be the way that is right for you. And that's the promise. Thank you for being here. Let me bless you in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask your blessing on all who are here. On all who hear this message. Father, would you reach out to them. And message your love. Let them know that that, that the message we're reading is one you have sent us. Proclaiming your love to us. May we trust you in that and walk in that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Based on who he is and what he's done. Amen.